Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California, Feeling Minnesota. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm a writer and uh, acting coach in sunny Southern California. I forgot for a second what I did. Um, I'm the Looking California portion of the program because I'm, I'm a ridiculously handsome young man. And I am joined by someone who physically resembles Minnesota. And his name is Barry Anderson. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a director based out of the, well, we call it Midwest, but I call it Canada light here in Minnesota. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for those that are just tuning in for the first time, we're two guys that like to discuss movies. We are not bitter. We don't hate movies. What we are always trying to do is figure out what makes an exceptional movie versus a bad or mediocre movie. So we decided that we'd go a little bit off brand. Last week was the Batman. This week, it's uh, a movie that's not quite as uh, watched, viewed, or in the public lexicon. But uh, Mike, tell us what movie we're going to tackle today. We are going to be tackling the, I think it's a Netflix movie, right? Isn't it on Netflix? Yes, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, The Netflix movie, The Lost Daughter. Now, The Lost Daughter is written and directed by actress Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, It is the screenplay is based on the book, The Lost Daughter by... Elena Ferrante, uh, which I've not read. And uh, the movie stars Olivia Coleman, Dakota Johnson, Jesse Buckley, and uh, Peter Sarsgaard, Ed Harris. It's on Netflix now. It came out in December. And here's the thing about this movie. It got quite a bit of good buzz. It's gotten very, very positive reviews. I think it's at, uh, let me check right now. It's at, oh boy, it's at 95% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Actress for Olivia Coleman, uh, Best Supporting Actress for Jesse Buckley, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Maggie Gyllenhaal. The film tells the story of um, a middle-aged woman played by Olivia Coleman, who goes to uh, Greece for a holiday uh, on the beach. And she runs into a very large family there um, who have uh, extended family, you know, aunts, uncles, uh, mothers, fathers, um, daughters, grandchildren. And she sort of interacts with them. They are sort of uncouth and she is a college professor. And the story goes from there. And there are flashbacks, which is where Jesse Buckley comes in. She plays uh, Olivia Coleman's character, uh, whose name is Lita. She plays young Lita. Dakota Johnson plays Nina, who is one of the large group of... Uh, they're actually Americans on vacation there. Um, Ed Harris plays a local at the uh, Greek beach named Lyle. And Peter Sarsgaard in the flashbacks plays Professor Hardy. The story is basically about this woman, Lita. When she was a young woman, she had two children. And uh, spoiler alerts, by the way, they're coming. <laughs> spoiler alerts. Not sure it matters, sure but it go for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Lita has two children. She's married, has two children, and she's an academic, and she's trying to get her academic career going, and she ends up cheating on her husband and leaving her husband and her children, her two daughters, to go be with this man for an extended period of time. And now, uh, as an older woman, she, she's, you know, she came back to her family, but as an older woman, played by Olivia Coleman, she is sort of having uh, PTSD slash flashbacks to the difficulty of being a mother basically on your own raising two young children and trying to have a career and she sees Dakota Johnson's character Nina taking care of her young child and it triggers all sorts of stuff for Lita so that's the story everything you you just said is accurate except for one thing and I'm wondering if it was just in a a a mistake by you or yeah. if it's perception, but you said the difficulties of being a young mother raising two kids alone and everybody they portray in this movie has a husband that is yeah. <laughs> there yeah. with them, but That's you true. kind of forget that they're around or, or in it. So I was wondering if you, if, 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 if I misheard you. No, no. I, I mean, that's true. The, the way it's portrayed is yes. So young Lita is married. I, we assume. And yeah, uh, at least two children with the father yeah. of the children. Yeah. So, so the father is there and, but he's an academic as well. And sort of his career takes precedence. And so she feels 
slighted yeah. and she feels stuck with these two kids. Um, and Nina, who is Dakota Johnson, she has a young child and her, we don't know if it's her husband or her boyfriend, I can't remember. Um, he's there too. And he's just sort of, uh, they're, they're more working class, this family. And she, her husband is sort of just a meathead and, and things like that. So yeah, there are men involved in this movie. Um, they're not, it's not very flattering portrayal uh, <laughs> by any stretch. I didn't make but, that argument. I was just, I was just pointing no, out that they, yeah. their, 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 their baby daddies are around and the uh, uh, Dakota uh, uh, Johnson is married uh, in the, in the movie. Um, yeah. They do, they do, they do state that, but yeah. So here nor there. then there's, then there's this whole other storyline about the young daughter, Dakota Johnson's Nina. She has a young daughter with her who has a doll. And in one of the weirder turns in recent cinematic history, Olivia Coleman's Lita steals the doll and keeps it with her. And the little girl is like, everybody's upset about this doll. They're looking for it all over this Greek island. It's like, you know, the, the, the Lindbergh baby, this thing. And they can't find it, but Olivia Coleman is like holding on to it, caring for it. And it's filled with dirty seawater and bugs. It's it's weird. Anyway, then Lita, I can't believe I'm trying to explain this movie. She, she builds a relationship with Dakota Johnson's Nina and they sort of, there's a kinship there about where life is going for Nina and where life went for Lita. So that's the movie. I mean, that's what it is. Now, this movie is very well received by critics. They love it. Love this movie. The Academy Award, three nominations. What I'm interested in is not what critics think or not what the Academy Award thinks. What I'm interested in is what does a director slash cinematographer from the Twin Cities think of this movie? Barry Anderson. Share with us your thoughts on The Lost Daughter. This ranks up there with one of the hardest movies to digest and figure out because on there are wonderful performances in this movie. I like a lot of the pacing of the movie. The movie doesn't always make sense. I'm not sure what all the messages and what you're supposed to take away from the movie. So I'm very confused uh, on that front. But you you already kind of stole. I feel like right now in cinema history, things are either Marvel or they're, you know, when things are kind of different, they're different because they're talking about a social or, uh, you know, they're dealing with different historical, you know, dramas. This movie is none of those. It doesn't fit any category. And the fact that one of the major plot lines is this adult woman that steals a doll from a child and it's continued for such a long part of the movie and nobody can understand why she stole the doll. It's almost like, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Peter, uh, uh, David Lynch with the ear. Um, You you know, I, I can't think of that many movies recently where you just, it's almost like, how do you come up with these characters? Like what the motivations kind of what brought them to this point? You know, it's a very depressing movie because like most movies that are made now, um, there isn't a whole lot of redeeming qualities in pretty much anybody in the movie. So you're kind of watching, you know, and some people are going to identify and project with certain parts and be like, I get that. I feel this. But, you know, it's that perfect example of like, if you're frustrated and this isn't going well, what's the proper solution to that? And I think that oftentimes they then kind of, compound the problem and make it worse so i didn't when i watched it i didn't realize it was maggie gyllenhaal that had directed it um so it's interesting that you have a a strong actress turned director that basically the movie is a showcase for female um performances and i thought that uh, what's her name is it jesse yeah jesse buckley i thought she like she stole every scene she was in. I thought she was fantastic. I had to look her up. I didn't, I forgot that she was in um, 
the HBO series Chernobyl uh, that I remembered her from, but she's, mm-hmm. I think she was on like some British reality TV singing competition. And she's, she's, she's delightful. And obviously Olivia Coleman is awesome. And what an interesting role. Like, I feel like I'm not an actor, but trying to get in the head of these characters. And they say that you never play a character as like bad or necessarily making bad choices. I, I think it would be hard to try to find the motivation for a lot of what happens in these scenes. And there are scenes where there's like a dramatic shift within the scene. It'll be going one way. And then all of a sudden it's like snap and it goes the other direction, which is fascinating, but I don't know if it's enjoyable. Um, so to me, this is the perfect kind of art house askew artists get to hang out and play, but it's not like a mainstream movie, if that makes sense. Um, and I'm almost tempted to watch it again because I feel like either I'm really dumb and I'm not following some of the storylines that they're the meaning behind it or it's vague enough where literally you can project anything you want but it's told in an interesting enough way that you're not just like what the hell am I watching this movie for so I can't quite tell what the the tone line was but it's definitely it's definitely unique to anything I can think of in recent memory. Now, unique isn't always good, but that's kind of where I'm landing right now. What, what were your thoughts? Well, I mean, as far as you feeling dumb. Um... <laughs> I'm glad that you picked up right away on that one. Yes. <laughs> no. So this movie is, uh, I mean, look, it's, it's a, for lack of a better sort of category, I'd call it a mainstream art house movie. Um, we'll start with the good. Olivia Coleman, as an actress, is at a point right now, which is really, as somebody who, you know, studied this sort of stuff, it's such a glorious thing to behold because Olivia Coleman was just kicking around for a long time. <laughs> you know yep just kicking around just a solid actress very good but like she just kicked around and you know many people in this industry uh women in particular um if nothing's big has happened by the time you're 30 nothing big's gonna happen yeah and a lot of people drop out um Olivia Coleman, nothing really big happened until she was in her late 30s, you know, if not her early 40s. Um, she's she's terrific in the film. Yes. And it's funny, I watched this movie um, a while back, and I also watched, I think it's on HBO Max, um, a miniseries called The Landscapers, in which Olivia Coleman stars with David Thewlis, um, which is a really, it's something we should talk about, actually. It's a really interesting approach to a story and how they put it together and how they shoot it. And she is so different in that. And she's amazing in both of these projects. And it's so fascinating to watch someone just be in, this is, and people may get uncomfortable with this. Uh, I doubt they're listening if, if they would. But Olivia Coleman is like in the Michael Jordan in the 90s zone right now. There's nothing she can't do. And she's just a phenomenal screen presence. This character is loathsome. Absolutely loathsome. Yeah. <laughs> just there is absolutely nothing redeemable about her. And yet, Olivia Coleman makes her an alive human being that you don't so much root for but you're interested in and it's incredible so i'm gonna i'm gonna dovetail two things off that number one i think it's funny that she kind of has broken out what has it been like the last four years when she went from relative relative obscurity to like multiple oscar nominee like yeah leading lady you know so i mean it's it her her runway as being a you know the marquee star is relatively short And to give a nod to how good she is, I take it for granted now when I see her that like, oh, of course she's that good at this part. Like, it's like you almost discount what she's doing because you're like, yeah, of course she can pull that off. 
but the part that I think is so interesting because this character really it's kind of like you just kind of hope she would just catch some disease and die and the world would be better if she wasn't around which is a pretty hard character to play and it's, yeah. it's easy to demonize and just be like just take her out back and you know <laughs> we'll, we'll keep walking and she'll she'll meet her demise out in the woods somewhere but instead there is a tragedy because of olivia coleman's performance where instead of just hating you have this part of like how did she become so broken and like how like you almost want to try to help to fix her and i think it would be very easy for a performance like this at the end to be like well good you got everything you deserve you screwed everyone like you're just a terrible person and the fact that she was able to not have it jump off that cliff says everything you need to know about the performance because almost nobody could do that and she did it very 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 well yeah, it, it, it really is quite a performance, especially, um, so her performance in Jesse Buckley, I, I agree, Jesse Buckley's just uh, a really um, magnetic screen presence. Yeah, and I, think, I think the reason that that struck me so much is it, like, I'm not as familiar with her work. In A, mm. I think it's like one of those perfect things where she looks enough like Olivia Coleman younger, but there's something about their performance that's like linked where you like, you totally understand. It's not like, oh, okay, this different actress and it's doing this, doing that. Okay, we're back to the. It felt like you're like, oh my God, she's been making the same mistakes for like 20 or 30 years. And right. it's, very, it's very difficult to, to thread that needle. And I think because both performances were so remarkable and so grounded that that part of the movie worked really well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, now, the problem with the film I, I found is that I think the movie gets so much love simply because of its, its subject matter and the fact that Maggie Gyllenhaal wrote and directed it. I don't think it's very well made. Um, I don't think it's particularly well written either. Um, I thought, you know, D Dakota Johnson is just a, a ridiculously beautiful woman. Um, but I felt that entire storyline of the Greek Americans coming to, to this party and how they behaved and who they were and how they were portrayed, it feels so much like that's Maggie Gyllenhaal, how she thinks regular people are. And it's like, she, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal has grown up basically in a bubble. Uh, you know, even, you know, her, her family worked in the business, her brother and she are very successful at a young age. She's married to uh, a guy who's in the business, very successful. So like, I don't think she has any clue what real people are like. And those are not real people. And she turns them into these sort of caricatures and it's, it's very classist in a way. And um, it really undermines the story. And then when you get into the meat and potatoes of, you know, the subtext of this, the symbology of it, her stealing the, the, um, the doll. And I get it. Like, I understand what that means in, in the bigger picture of like, oh, there's this sort of hole in her life from when she uh, left her children, et cetera, et cetera. But she's also inflicting the same generational pain that she inflicted on her children onto this little girl that she doesn't know. And it's really a repugnant thing. Now that's not like, you can't, you can have main characters in films do repugnant things, but this just seems so irredeemable because she is such a selfish character through and through. So the flashbacks, oh, she's tired and all these things with her kids. I get it. I'm, you know, you and I both have children. We, we understand what that is like. Um, but, you know, you can't escape the fact that she just left her kids. And if a man did that, I know what I'd think about that guy. 
<laughs> right? So a woman doing it doesn't change that opinion. You just think like, wow, that that's that this person is a piece of shit. Um, but the weird thing about the movie is that the way it's structured, it opens with Olivia Coleman's Lita standing at a beach and she collapses at the beach. And that's, as we come to learn, in the future. And the movie ends at that same spot. And what has happened is she's been stabbed by this Nina woman, played by Dakota Johnson, because she stole the doll and like all this stuff. So she gets stabbed, I think it's with a hairpin or something. And uh, she's bleeding, but she decides to fly to go drive to the airport. She stops, she gets out, walks to the beach, and she calls her grown daughter. And it was really weird because she has that phone call with her daughter who she abandoned for a period of time in her childhood and everything's fine. So there are no consequences for her actions. In fact, that to me undermines the entire sort of dramatic and moral structure of the film in that she is not alone. She can call her daughter and the daughter will pick up as opposed to being like, yeah, she's not taking your call. Like there are issues here. And so here she is in this moment of like pain and anguish and maybe death that she's safe and she's loved. And yet she shouldn't be. And what would make all of it more impactful is if she weren't, if she calls and she gets a voicemail right? Or if the call is blocked, right? But it isn't. And so to me, that's the weirdest thing. And it undermines the film a great deal. And it makes the viewer feel because you don't like her. And I'm not just saying this for me or for you, you know, neither of us liked the leader character because of the things she did. I watched it with two women, uh, both of whom are parents. And they disliked her more than I did. <laughs> right? So it's not like, you know, just some patriarchal misogynist thing of like, oh, this woman. So the fact that this woman does all these terrible things for two hours and then at the end is comforted and is, and is judged by the person, one of the people that she harmed is not judged harshly. And yet the viewer judges her harshly that disconnect really undermines the power of the film and it really makes the viewer feel uh, even more disconnect from the, the movie, which just to give you an indication, Rotten Tomatoes, 95% critical score, 48% audience score, right? That regular people watch this and go, oof, I don't like this bitch. <laughs> right no no thank you and they also feel bad because the movie is saying you should like her for some reason so that that and like the sort of denigrating demeaning way that like the regular people are portrayed and like used as as uh you know plot points and things like that that really turned me off to the movie and I didn't, you know, I didn't see a lot of it coming. I, I you know, I'll, I'll say that I, I, having not read the book and I was like, oh, what's happening here? I don't get it. I didn't, I didn't predict any of it. So it's, it's, you know, surprising. And, and I guess that can be entertaining, but I just did not like the movie. And interestingly enough, no one I know who's seen it has liked the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure there's a lot of things that you said that I have to respond to. First off, you made it sound like the Greek Americans, you thought they were working class. Yeah. I felt I felt like when I was watching it, I felt like they were like the rich hoity toity. And I thought the classism was the reason that she hated them is because they had means. So maybe I just read it differently than you do. But I, oh. I felt there was, you know, this was kind of like the they ride in with all their money and she's thinking back to like, well, I was just stuck in my room with, and like, they have all this stuff and she's like, what's wrong with her. So I, I reacted to that differently and thinking about it. I don't, 
people go on vacation in nice spots and that it's not that they can afford it. So like, I think one could make an argument either way outside of the fact that they had, you know, she had a, a, a nursemaid to help with her child and stuff like that, that I don't think you take with you if you're of normal means. Um, so I guess I, I, I was reading. Well, that I, let, me, let me, let me just rephrase it then as opposed to um, wealth in terms of class, right? Uh, you know, th that yes, they were wealthy, but they, she considered herself superior. To oh, them. well, she's from academia. That's how it works. Yeah. Like you, that, yeah. that goes hand right. in hand. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look back at the flashbacks and kind of the worshiping of words and language and the intellectual kind of fodder there, you yeah. know, and when you, and you don't say that I'm from Massachusetts or Boston. I'm from Cambridge, you know. Right. And at, at first, yeah. I was like, "Oh, she doesn't have a British accent." And then she has to lower herself, be like, "You know, from <laughs> from from Massachusetts." And you're like, "Oh, she's even ashamed to be from Cambridge, Massachusetts, because it's not <laughs> not it's not hoity-toity enough." Um, and then the ending, I actually rewatched probably three or four times. I kept rewinding. I'm like, "What am I missing here?" Because I was trying to figure yeah. out exactly yeah. what I'm like. I watched it. I'm like, okay, that doesn't, did I, did I miss something in the other part of the movie? Is this like, you know, I think I've told you my reaction to uh, citizen Kane. Have I ever told you that story? I don't think so. So I was in high school and I rented a VHS copy because I was starting to look at classic movies. And so spoiler alert, if you haven't watched citizen Kane, I'm going <laughs> to throw away the whole movie right now. So, you know, I'm young and I'm like starting to get my taste for like slower paced movies and all this. I'm like watching it and the movie ends. And I was furious. I'm like, this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. I don't understand why it's on anyone's list. Complete bullock. So I go, to, I rewind it, I eject it, and I put it in the case. And on the back of the case, there's a shot from the end of the movie when they're throwing the sled into the fire, and it says Rosebud. Well, on my, D on my VHS copy, you couldn't read it. Yeah. It just looked like they were burning stuff and it was over. And I'm like, right. what did I make this movie for? So I thought I had that moment. I'm like, what did I miss in the movie that this is really profound and I missed it. And so I rewound it a couple of times and I can, I can only come up with two possible like ways that the filmmaker would want this to be interpreted. One is that it's almost like a hallucination, like she's dying and she's envisioning mm -hmm. that everything's good and it hasn't been, so it's not really, it's in the, in the, you know, the, whether she's dying dead or just making it up in her head. Otherwise, which it would be one option, and that would make the most sense, in my opinion, for the rest of the movie that, you know, if she wants to try to make it better, the only way <laughs> that life is going to get better is her making it up in her head. Um, or the other one is that because there were so many subtle lines and scenes, like when, um, Dakota Jan uh, Johnson comes over to ask for the keys so she can have a, an affair with one of the guys in town. And, you know, she asks Olivia Coleman, like, should I do it? Like, what do you think? And Olivia Coleman's like, well, you should do whatever you want. And I think there's a, a thing in modern society where it's like, whatever you should do, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy, whatever doesn't put, you know, it's kind of like a get out of jail free card, no matter how bad your decisions are, as long as you want to do it, then we should support it. And so part of my thinking was, is by showing that she had a connection with her daughter, it meant that there were no consequences to her action to anyone else. It was just something she was fighting in her own head. And it kind of made it as a get out of jail free card. Like, hey, you know, you don't have to stick, stick it out with your kids if you're having problems. You don't have to stay in your marriage. You can, you know, it, it allows for that freedom of women to kind of do whatever they want. And then therefore there isn't consequences, which seems like a weird, like I, to me, that didn't feel as right. But those were the only two things I could, after watching it three or four times, I'm like, well, maybe it's this or that. Otherwise, I don't know what the heck the ending meant at all, because it just seems so out of place with the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's what I interpreted it to mean was that there are no consequences. Um, which is funny, yes. because if, if that's what they mean, then I feel like the filmmakers are literally completely oblivious to the rest of the movie. Cause clearly there's consequences everywhere. Right. So, so it's like the well, whole, the whole narrative structure was consequences and the reactions of consequences. Right. So if you say there are yeah. no consequences, you're like, 
did you make the rest of the movie? And like, right. what were you thinking in those scenes? And so it, it, it would be like, it would be well, like watching that... Rocky sit there and box and stuff at the end. And then you cut away and he's like, I'm not a boxer. And you're like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like the whole movie was training for boxing. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean by that. It undermines its, its complete dramatic power. And it's just across purposes with itself because I, I like you, I just, I was trying to figure out that ending and that's what I came up with is like, Oh, you know, and you have to take into account that, you know, this is Maggie Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal making this movie. She's a very uh, outspoken person, very specific in her sort of um, cultural politics and things. And, you know, that idea of like being, celebrating that fact, which is what it de facto does, it, this sort of freedom and, and freedom from consequences really um, it, it, it's just bizarre to me. And again, like I said, I watched it with, with two women um, who are parents and they were just absolutely baffled and repulsed by that notion. Now, that doesn't mean they're repulsed or baffled by the impulse, by the yearning Correct. Yes. to be like, you know, because as any parent will tell you, if they, if they say this isn't true, they're like, where that there's that point where you just want to be like, all right, I'm going to put this child down <laughs> in the car seat and I'm going to walk home. You know, like this is crazy, but that's the point is you don't do it. And I think a sort of, again, de facto celebration of that lack of consequences, it, it really, it's so, um, anathema to the human condition and and civilization so again so you think about like male films films with men in, in the lead who do deplorable things and and you know and you think like oh like the godfather movies or um goodfellas or whatever you know they're killing people and all this stuff they all face consequences all of them Michael Corleone at the end of the Godfather epic, you know, even if you count the third one, God help us, uh, his daughter is dead and he is completely alone, right? It's just, there it is. You know, uh, Henry Hill from Goodfellas, uh, his whole life has been turned upside down and now he lives in the middle of nowhere and he's like a schnook. He's got to eat, you know, uh, wait in line to get shit and has to eat egg noodles with ketchup as opposed to marinara sauce. You know, so like that, that doesn't happen here. And so it's just, it's, it's so weird as a cinematic experience. And as somebody who, you know, watches a lot of movies and understands the storytelling sort of structure of things, it's really difficult because again, it goes against not so much audience expectation, but their emotional expectation that they're that they're being scolded by the film in a weird way and it's just again the the, the ending is so bizarre and at, at cross purposes with everything that comes before it that like i like i said i i think you have if you have that ending where she is at the beach and she's alone and she can't reach out to her daughter then you say oh okay and that's it's a much more uh well, it, it's co it's coherent with the rest of the movie but it's not satisfying yeah. i think yes I, yeah. I i think the core audience is looking for a satisfaction that was delivered i think that's part of the reason you know i would i would assume that the core audience are people more aligned with you know maggie gyllenhaal's kind of vision and those are the people that are really going to respond mm -hmm. And this yeah. happens in any movie. You go to a religious movie, there's a certain core audience in mind. You go to an yeah. action film, there's a certain core audience. And it can, it can branch out, um, but it usually as you go away from kind of that connection, you know, we talked about too, like, you know, when Tyler Perry broke on the scene and everyone's like, well, these movies can't do well. And you're like, you know, he understood an audience. He catered that audience and then expanded it. And I think in this particular case, there isn't an expansion. I think this movie would actually do better if it would have followed and i don't particularly like like the french new wave but kind of movies that 
you're just watching weird, interesting people doing things and there isn't really much commentary. It's just kind of like, you know, life is messy and here's stuff. And, you know, it's a much more, it's, it's less of a story or plot driven or, you know, and I feel like this movie, that's what it should have just been. It's like afterwards, you should have just been like, was she redeemable? <laughs> like, is there something that could have, like, is it, you know, I just feel like it's such a bizarre pacing and the way it's told and the choices they've made that it kind of gets you, it, it drags you as an audience into a spot where you're uncomfortable, but willing to sit there with it. And then at the end, you're kind of like, well, why did I go over here? Like, I didn't like, why did we move mm-hmm. from there? And so I think that's the disconnect. And I don't know what the perfect ending for this movie would have been. Um, I was a little bit surprised when she did get stabbed. I didn't really see that coming. And I think, yeah, the, nor did I. I. I think the execution of that scene, because, you know, obviously, uh, what's her name? It's Dakota Johnson's character realized that <laughs> Olivia Coleman is truly a rotten human. But because you've bonded somewhat with Olivia, you don't have that same horrific nature so it seems like she's overreacting and she's not because <laughs> like she's she's realizing she was following with olivia the whole time as a good person and it's like the sh- it, the switch and so that scene didn't set up the end of the movie well um in my opinion because if 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 dakota uh, johnson's character had come in late in the movie and she kind of fell in love you're not gonna fell in love but like there was a connection that you understood but she didn't have two hours of seeing this person being awkward and mean and you know strange like it that shouldn't have come as big of a surprise as it was to her and the audience is like yeah, yeah dummy you've been here with us the whole time you haven't seen yeah. everything we've seen but like this person's a weirdo and not a very nice person so i think from that point on the rest of the movie which isn't i mean that's almost at the end of the movie that section on i just it didn't work for me yeah and and, and again i agree with you that like and I have no problem with an audience being uncomfortable. Um, in fact, I, I tend to enjoy those sort of cinematic experiences when a film really pushes you in, into places you don't want to go. But the problem with this film and the ending of it, and, and basically the, the last quarter of it, as you're saying, is that it's unsatisfying. So there's a difference between being unsatisfying and being uncomfortable. Um, and that's just basic, you know, sort of archetypal myth storytelling, you know, like that's the problem. So the, the Dakota Johnson character, Nina stabs Lita, Olivia Coleman, because she inflicted pain on, uh, Nina's daughter. And I think that's probably the reason she did, but the way the line was written, it was like, you saw my daughter, you saw me, you saw the whole town. Like, it was kind of like, you literally just flicked your nose at everybody around here, which is why, like, then when she stabbed, it should have been the other way. It's like, you saw so looking, you saw my face. Did you see my daughter? I'm like, you were messing with my child, then the stab. But because of the way the dialogue was written, by the time she stabbed, it seemed like we had gone away from what would make someone primarily want to stab another person. So- That's interesting. I, I had not, I, I did not remember that, but um, yeah, but I mean, the basic point being is that like, again, with that, with that ending and with everything being just fine. Yeah. It's either a uh, hallucination, which, you know, they, they should do a better job of <laughs> clarifying that in the storytelling or it is just taking away consequences. So, and that sort of, it's so unsatisfying as to be frustrating. And, and I just think that's not, even for an art house film, um, you can't do it. Like French New Wave is a perfect example. You know, I've, I've been watching a lot of that recently. And all of those films for all their sort of avant-garde uh, production and the storytelling is, is pretty, straightforward actually uh you know so that it follows the structure that audiences will be able to digest and and find satisfaction with even if the journey is a little unorthodox um but this this film just feels 
you know, I, I mean, we're sort of talking around it, but it, it feels like a weird um, piece of, you know, I, I don't even know the right words to use for it, but almost like this aggressive feminist polemic because of the ending, which again, you can make a film, a, an overtly feminist film, but I just think the ending of this is so unsatisfying to the vast majority of, of viewers. And again, it even works against, you know, the, the notion, the, the sort, that sort of political notion, cultural politics of it, you know, that like, why would she even want to connect with her daughter? Her daughter is, was like a, a albatross around her neck, you know? Um, so it, that, that's the thing to me that, really bothered me about the film. Now, that being said, um, I, I certainly enjoy watching Olivia Coleman work for two hours. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And like I said, I would recommend people go watch Landscapers just to see it, it's interesting. But to me, this movie is just a sort of, it's one of those perfect storms of uh, critics having a certain worldview and wanting to reinforce that despite um, some rather second-rate filmmaking and the Academy Awards feeling the same way. Um, that's, that's my vibe on this thing is that, and here's the other weird part, which is just bizarre. Ed Harris is in this movie. I, dude, you stole my thunder. I was just gonna be like, do you remember those scenes when Ed Harris was in the movie for no reason? What the fuck is happening? Ed <laughs> Harris is in this movie and you're like, Ed, what, what are you doing? What, do you, what is Ed Harris here for? It's so weird to just be like, yeah, Ed Harris is in the movie, but we're just going to waste this. We're just going to throw it away. Not a big and, deal. And I don't know if you felt the same way I did. Like, I know that he's significantly older oh, me. than Olivia Coleman, but that scene where he comes up and they're chatting and he's trying to guess her age, I'm super glad that they stopped because it started to get super awkward. I'm like, Oh, I don't like where this is going. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen here, but is this movie going to take a turn? But I like Ed Harris. It was not one of his finer performances. No. And he was mostly wasted in the movie. Like, I don't understand what that brought. Like, why was he in the room? Yeah. Why did he look at, when he looked at the doll? I'm like, what am, what am I supposed to be getting from this? What, what, what is he shining a light to her? Or what is he discovering about her? Like I didn't, I didn't understand, but that, that felt like in a movie that had a lot of quote unquote fluff, you know, because the movie isn't shot, like, you know, scenes play out, there's lingering, there's, they yeah. focus on things that you're not, you know, why are they focusing on that? Just the way in which it's told, you're like, okay, well then we're just going to marinate in it for a bit. And then he comes in, you're like, well, okay, this is like now a real movie. Are they connecting is this like is there a reveal of something like no it's just more nonsense but like you were you were curious like when she would talk to dakota uh johnson like when there were some of the other connections you kind of felt like oh i understand why this is in the movie but to me most of the interaction with the men even like when she went to her car and she went to the wrong car right and they're yeah. kind of like are they are they like a threat to her? Like right. I didn't quite understand what the the beats were with the her interaction with the men in this particular um, movie. And what's funny is I think the best interactions that she had with men were in the flashbacks with her husband or the father of her kids, where he seemed he seemed more normal <laughs> than everyone else in the movie. Uh, not that we saw that much of him, um, but yeah, I mean it. It just. But at the same right, I mean, this feels kind of like I know one of our movies we loved talking about a couple of years ago, the um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, yeah. Great movie. There were elements of kind of like, OK, it's slow. It's another one directed by women, starring women, kind of when the storylines and mm -hmm. that movie was different. And it was, you know, I feel like they're kind of similar in a sense but the execution and how you felt coming out of them couldn't be more different. Um, yeah. I think potentially the performances in this movie were better than the one of the portrait with the lady on fire. But, uh, you know, I would say if someone's like, Hey, should I watch this? But I would, I would immediately follow up. Have you seen portrait of the lady on fire and do you mind subtitles? The answer is no. Watch that. Skip this one. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think 
portrait of a lady on fire is just infinitely superior to this well, film and, correct. and you and i, I guess, both agreed with, and, and we talked about that and you think about the ending of that film correct compared to this and it's yes. like okay now there we go there's some movie making for you but i mean but i but don't you think that like if if you were a blockbuster back in the day and you know during oscars they'd pull out movies that are like this one that would be an appropriate kind of okay it's a similar you know they're not the yeah, same yeah. movie or anything but i mean they're right if you like one you should like the other um but i just think that's a, a an accurate dis display of a movie that was really really well done portrait of a lady on fire and this one that has great elements but as a whole and i i don't know i i too haven't read the book just note for anybody watching the podcast um i will never read any book like I don't have to like I will let you know if I've read a book of a movie before seeing the movie that's happened like once in my lifetime so I don't need to use that it's like anybody who's a yeah. book lover that's like the book was better than the movie I said okay you're never allowed to say that again you just let me know when you thought the movie was better than the book and then we don't have to have this like small talk that you know, yeah I know you said that 400 times yeah um, it's funny speaking of which um I have not read the book either because you know reading is just stupid um <laughs> I'm glad that's what we took from that. <laughs> but, but I did read recently. I just I just uh, read it the last couple of weeks. Um, Don DeLillo's book, White Noise, which um, the reason I read it is because it's coming out as a film this year. And I'm going to look it up just so you can get the joy of this. Um, called White Noise? Yeah. It's called White Noise. Um, it's a very famous book from Don DeLillo, who's a quite accomplished writer. Now, here's the joy of it, is that I read it because the movie is going to be directed or is, is currently being directed by your favorite director, Noah Baumbach. And it stars Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig. See, you threw me off because I remember seeing White Noise looked <laughs> up and I saw the White Noise with Michael Keaton. I'm sure it's not from the same book material, correct? Oh, I can't imagine. I didn't see that. It's like that a thriller. One. Yeah, there's no, no way. No, no, no. Yeah, it's not that. And that's I, the funny I was thing. like, I wait a minute. That, they've already made a movie of that. And that does not sound like what you're talking about. And the funny thing is, I read the book and I'm like, this is going to be, it's almost unfilmable. I don't know how they're going to make it. But anyway, the reason I bring that up is because I've not read uh, The Lost Daughter and the movie is not inspiring me to read it. So I, I'm not going to make that commitment. Sorry uh, to all the librarians out there. Yeah, well, I think I part of me would be curious just to find out what what's different. But I think to me, the parts that I enjoyed about this movie were the performances in the mm -hmm. movie, which yeah. obviously wouldn't yeah. be in the book. I'm not sure I would understand the character more or like or dislike the character more. You know, I don't know if I'd be sucked into the world more if I was reading the book. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't I mean, read a book if you want. That's good. <laughs> I don't know. With all the books I need to read, I don't think this would be near the top. Right, yeah. Same with me, where it's like, I got so much I have to read that I don't want to have to read something I don't want to have to read. Correct. Um, which is this. All right, so I think we're at the end of our The Lost yeah. Daughter discussion. Um, so what would you do with this movie, Barry? Would you well, recommend if I was just, anyone watching? We, we, haven't, we haven't talked about this in a while, but sometimes we play this game where if we were studio executives, yeah. and mm -hmm. if I was a studio executive, I would make the sequel, The Lost Son, and just see where we could go with mm -hmm. it. I mean, mm -hmm. this is what I would do. So I'm studio exec. <laughs> He's like, that's the worst idea ever. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, I, it's, a, it's a, look, it's a legit idea. I guarantee you they're kicking it around right now. Um, so I'm studio exec. Somebody comes to me with this and I say, okay, listen, we'll do it. But Olivia Coleman's character has to be Batwoman. And Dakota Johnson's character, Nina, has to be Spider-Woman. So, like, at night, they're out fighting crime and, and beating up bad guys. But then during the day, they're like, the doll is in play. And, uh, and then the end makes more sense, right? That she gets stabbed through her bat suit and by Spider-Woman. And then she dies at the ocean. That's my dream come true. And I guarantee you, by the way, um, some studio head would pitch, take that pitch and turn it on and be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> if we can get the IP, let's do it. Oh, geez.
Well, I didn't think we could make this movie any worse, but I think we just found a way to make it worse. So, yeah, I mean, again, this movie, look, the cast is, it's fine. Um, Some of the performances are great. I just think, like, literally, if you're making an art house film like this, you gotta stick the landing at the end. And they don't. And maybe that's a function of the book. Uh, I don't know. But it just doesn't work. It just does not work. And I, like I said, I watched this uh, with two other people. They didn't like it. I, I would not recommend it to anyone. I can't be like, oh, yeah, you should watch it. It's interesting. Even though the performance of Olivia Coleman is nice, I, I can't recommend anybody watch it. I, I would recommend it to anybody who is either an actor or who studies performances. I think there's, I think there's some gold in the hills. Uh, yeah, but no, outside of it being more of an yeah. academic watch where you're kind of breaking down and looking, that's the group that I would recommend it to. Um, yeah, that's legitimate because I, 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 I would do that as well. Um, and I think anybody who says that they love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would definitely also say this is a good spinoff from that. And then that would be a way to weed out all of my friends because well, they would never speak to me again. In a real way, it feels like a, a you know, Fast and the Furious spinoff. You know, it's like Hobbs and Shaw. Family. And I think it's so. family. <laughs> it, it's, well, I guess that's going to be Fast and Furious 10 when Dom <laughs> abandons his family and uh, he's playing with a doll on the beach. This could be a precursor of what's happening in the, the Fast uh, Fast 10 movie. Let's hope so. Uh, God, I still have never Can seen Can you imagine Olivia Coleman as the, as the arch nemesis? I'd pay to see that. I would love it. That'd I would love it. I'll watch Olivia Coleman do pretty much anything. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so to wrap up The Lost Daughter, Barry and I are not fans of the movie. Uh, we're a little baffled. Unlike the critics critics who give it a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, we're more like the audience who give it a 48%. Um, so can't recommend the movie. We can say that Olivia Coleman is a terrific actress and she's just in the zone right now. Enjoy it for what it is and uh, take the ride with Elizabeth Coleman in her career. And I guess that's it. So everybody, thanks for tuning in to Lift the California Film Minnesota, and we'll see you next time at the movies.